Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. Today, we're going to talk about anger. I'm going to tell you uh, two stories that happened within probably three minutes of each other around me that that anger was involved and it didn't go well. I want to talk about why are we so addicted to anger? What is it with outrage that feels so good? And then we're going to set ourselves up to talk about how we heal next week. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, let's kick it off. Here we are today, wherever today is for you. I want to talk today about an article I read recently on Medium. Uh, medium is a mixed bag. I feel like I feel I believe they let anyone write if they feel it's worthy uh, topic, and so sometimes you find good stuff. Sometimes stuff you're like, wait, what? What's going on here? Uh, I want to talk to you about anger and vices and virtue. I want to talk about that. Hey, I, I just want to read an article. I I came across this article. Um, entitled your addiction to outrage is ruining your life and there are some very highlight worthy sections in the article and it starts out as very first paragraph is a home run in 2020 outrage is the latest drug of society i know it's 2021 but we could say this in 2019 2018 2021 2016 2015 2008 etc i do feel that it is increasingly getting worse and so i'll start it over it says in 2020 outrage is the latest drug of society it's more acceptable than alcohol and it's more addictive than anything you can swallow smoke or inject because while heroin or methamphetamines are clearly harmful anger feels so expletive righteous Later on, he says, outrage is like a lot of other things that feel good, but over time devours from the inside out. And it's even more insidious than most voices because we don't even consciously acknowledge that it's a pleasure. And evidently, that's a quote by a, gay, by a guy named Tim Creter, who I have no idea who he is. Uh, he goes on to say, the worst part of this is that it's been weaponized. Our anger has been weaponized. And, and I've said before, I feel like we as a society, we're addicted to outrage because it makes us feel like we're on the right side of every issue. And then we can vilify the person that we are angry with or the people group, right? So if I'm of that party, that political party, then the other political party, they have to hate America and they have to want to destroy it and they have to be bad people. And as long as they're bad people, then I am safe and secure in my anger. All right, I'm going to read a little bit more of this article, and then we're going to kind of discuss his question, if that's all right with you. So he writes, oh my, I lost it there. He writes, we love being angry because it makes us feel smart. It makes us feel like we care more than the next person, who we assure ourselves doesn't care enough because we're more across the facts than they are. That we have the necessary ideas to fix everything, that we're the ones who need to be in charge. That when, all, that when we call someone a Nazi or a sexist or a bigot, it's not our opinion, it's a fact. That when we call someone out or worse, try to ruin their career, they deserve it. And he's, he writes, that's an astounding level of arrogance. The biggest problem with outrage, however, is that it's been weaponized. Outrage sells like crazy because it's a strong emotion and strong emotions force people into action. 
That's why political parties, instead of coming together to find solutions, whip their supporters into a frenzy of anger against the other side. Corporations are now getting in on the action too. They weaponize your outrage to sell their products, such as Gillette with their ill-fated ad campaign, and Nike using collar capping to bring socially conscious consumers to their brand. Nike's sales increased 31% after that ad was released and caused $6 billion brand increase. Do you really think they put that ad out there to take a social stand? They used your outrage to cash in, and they cashed in big time. The mainstream media is by far the worst culprit, however, because without your attention, they don't have a business model. They have to make you keep clicking and turning in. Otherwise, their advertising dollars dry up. That's why everything is increasingly sensationalized, and it's no longer about reporting facts. A headline that makes you emotional causes you to click. The article gets you pissed off, which sends you to the comments section to argue with people. The topic trends on social media, which you're, of course, taking part in. Rinse, repeat. Now, rather than getting on my high horse and telling you that you're being played for a fool and you should stop participating, I'm going to take a different approach. If you're one of those people who is constantly scrolling the news and social media, always getting angry at the latest thing you see, or even worse, getting angry on behalf of other people, I've got a really important question. How's it working out for you? Has it accomplished anything for you whatsoever? That's where I want to camp out today. I want to know what's this anger doing for us. For, for the individual who's angry, for the individual who participates in anger, I want to know how it's working out for you. I mean it. I sincerely want to know. And I know that there are people that they think, well, I'm angry because I'm part of a righteous cause. And and I get, at one level, I get that because, you know, we want to be part of a righteous cause. At another level, I don't get it because I wonder, well, the other people that you're angry with that you think are part of the unrighteous cause, they think the same thing about you. But, so I've had this happen three times in my life. I want to share two stories where I saw recently that this did not work out. So, so two pretty odd stories. Uh, this first one, I've actually had this happen, a version of this happen three times in my life. And I'm not, I don't feel like I'm old enough to be able to say that, but it, it happened. So yesterday I'm driving from one office to the other. I often come to our main office in Lowell and I needed to pick some things up and we were chit-chatting uh, some of the office staff And I leave here, and as I'm driving to my office in Grand Rapids, one of the things that uh, you have to do at some point is you have to go from the normal travel lane to the passing lane to a left turn lane. And it can be busy that time of day, so I like to get over a little bit early. I have a big truck, uh, and and so I want to make sure that people see it and have enough space so that we avoid, you know, trying to occupy the same space at the same time, which involves an accident. Hang on to that thought because we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, this this person um, decides to go past me on the right, and they felt that I was number one uh, because they told me that. And, and it was strange because I was doing six miles over the speed limit. I rarely speed, but in order to fit into traffic there, I had to go faster. So I was doing six miles over the posted limit. And I, I just wave. I make sure that I get all my fingers splayed so that nobody thinks I'm giving them the bird when they're giving me the bird. And I just wave back and smiled and hope she had a good day. I actually found it somewhat amusing. There was a Kent County Sheriff's deputy sitting in the Amway Auxiliary parking lot who did not find her antics to be amusing, I'm guessing, because he turned on his lights and pulled her over. So for her, I would say, how did that anger work out for you? 
And then as I'm going through the now re remodeled ADA, I'm, I'm coming up to a red light, and there's a woman turning right. So she's on my left, coming from my left to my right, and she's turning right uh, to go out, I'm going to guess, to 21, to Route 21 for my local peeps. And she hits a car, and she is screaming at her phone. I'm guessing it was set up to FaceTime. She had one of those things where... It, she had like a mount on her dashboard and the phone sits inside that mount and she is screaming and as she's leaning forward, she's turning right with her left hand. She leans forward and she starts to do like the chest poke finger point with her right hand, uh, screaming at whoever she's FaceTiming with. And she hit the car that was parked there in the corner. How'd that anger work out for her? I, I would like to ask them both. And it, it was real. It was kind of surreal to see those. Basically, probably about three minutes apart, I saw both those events. A as I was chewing over this uh, article and preparing for this podcast, I probably had about half the script kind of laid out in my head. I needed to get it down on paper. And, and so I want to stop, step back, and I want to ask, why are we in a, a society that is so addicted to outrage? What's interesting is, we have the people who have just embraced the anger. And then we have the people who are so afraid of the anger. We've lost conversation completely. Like we've just lost the idea of engaging each other with, uh, with disagreements. My wife and I were talking about it. And we were talking about how a friend of ours had this opinion. And she's like, I'm just not going to say anything though because I don't want it to be an argument. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, I, I get it because... Once you have anger, once anger becomes your virtue, there is no quarter, there is no stopping, there is no, well, we can agree to disagree. Anger demands action until completion, and it demands, that if I'm the angry one, it, it demands that you completely acquiesce to my opinion. Because my opinion must be fact. If you disagree with me politically, it must be because you want to destroy the world. If my wife disagrees with me about how we should parent, it must be because she's a bad parent. If you disagree with me on sports, it's because you're a sellout. I'll just pick one that I tend to get a lot of emails about. And I think part of it is none of us are immune to this. There, there are things, there is probably something that all of us get mad about, that all of us feel anger about. There's very few people that don't feel any anger. In fact, if you don't feel any anger, I really want to talk to you because typically, to be honest with you, that's an emotional problem. Okay, that's a side note. Why are we so angry? What is it? What's the benefit? Well, the, the benefit is all the things that that author mentioned. It makes us feel smarter. Uh, it gives us the ability to act without having to weigh the consequences of our acting. If you want to see this in action, talk to people who vote, not because they like the person they're voting for, but because they, they don't like the other person. And, and ask them, like, well, what do you like about the person you voted for? And, it, you know, the thing about politics, and yes, politics can be a, 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 a whipping horse of mine. I know that's a little bit of a turnoff for some people, but what, one of the things I love about politics is it is, it, how we handle politics tends to be a good reflection of how we handle other difficult topics in our society. And one of the things that often happens in politics is I'll ask people, well, who are you voting for? And they'll tell me like, oh, what do you like about that person? 
And the next 10 minutes are about what they don't like about the other person. It's really strange. But that's kind of how we handle a lot of different aspects of life, a lot of different difficult conversations in life. And so one of the things that we need to run out is why do we as a society prefer anger? I think in part because it gives us identity. It gives us righteous identity. It gives us the ability to say, we're right, you're wrong. And this happens This happens in small areas. Uh, I've heard of people who were friends stopping being friends because something came up that they disagreed on. And we're not talking like, I mean, I don't even know what that would be. We're not talking about big issues. We're talking about small things. Well, I don't like what they're doing, so I'm no longer their friend. That comes out of anger, and that anger comforts us. It helps us feel safe. It helps us feel right. It's like a warm blanket. It, it helps us feel comfortable. It helps us feel alive. For many people, they feel the most alive when they're angry. They feel the most connected to the world when they're angry. They feel the most like they have meaning when they're angry. But when you step back, what is it really doing? Let's just put this in a domestic violence situation or a domestic situation that is nonviolent. I'll do the domestic violence situation first. Guy gets mad. His wife threatens to leave him uh, because he's mad and he's not controlling his temper behaviors while he's having a temper tantrum. So he gets mad and punches down a door. In the moment, that feels great. All of the happy chemicals are flooding through his system. His adrenaline's on fire. But did it actually help him? No. The chances that his wife is going to divorce him just went up exponentially. Right? Or, or, or the, the, the husband that he's so angry with his wife, he just doesn't talk to her. He yells at her. Now, he really wants connection, but, but he's afraid that he's not going to get it. So what does he do? He typically picks one of two extremes. He either withdraws into a fantasy world like uh, p- playing games or sports, or workaholism, or something with an ism at the end of it. Or he over-engages her and just blows her up all the time. Because he's not controlling his behaviors when he's angry, because that anger feels righteous. In fact, his argument when he comes and sits in my room will be, Joe, you don't know what it's like. Which is true. But that's not the point. The point is... This thing that you're doing, is it actually helping you? Now let's do domestic violence. Guy is is actually, he's angry. And I believe that anger is typically just a chemical response in your body. The initial birth of anger, that initial bloom of anger is just a chemical response in your body. But what are you going to do with it? And so then he engages or she engages in some stupid physical assault And instead of actually moving towards the direction that they want to move towards, they blow it up. They make it worse. Because anger isn't doing anything. In fact, I encourage you, write me and tell me where anger has done anything good over the long haul. Think about parents. I was working with a mom one time who had a daughter that was just like her. It's a wonderful recipe for a lot of arguments and a lot of anger. And so she would... Uh, she would kind of do this sigh thing. She would cross her shoulders and go, well, her three-year-old did that one day and she lost her mind. Why? And when I brought up, like she actually came in, sat in the room, told me, I lost my mind. I don't think it was right. Can you give me different strategies? When I offered different strategies, she lost her mind with me. 
Why? Because anger creates a buffer between our pain and our feeling, and it lets us direct the source of that pain outward. I'm going to say that again. Anger creates a pain between ourselves and our buffer, or creates a buffer between ourselves and our pain, and it lets us direct the source of that pain outward. A couple of weeks ago, probably a couple of months ago, my life is is very cyclic. You know, I have the same schedule Monday to Wednesday. Thursday and Fridays typically look a lot alike. Uh, and so weeks, weeks and months, I sometimes struggle to remember which was which. Probably a couple months ago, my wife was talking to a woman about all of the pain that had been visited upon this woman in her life. And, and, and my wife was, you know, very sympathetic and she was listening and, and I was in the car with her on the phone and they were talking and she said, my wife said to this, to the woman, she said, you know, one of the things that I've come to realize is at some level we've all given pain out and we've all received pain. We've all hurt other people and we've all been hurt by other people. And at first I was like, whoa, 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 back up there, sister. Let's just pump those brakes for a second. Let's let that stagecoach come to a slow slow stop. And let's examine that because I don't think I like that. And I didn't like it because it was true. One of the things that, that anger does is it lets us overlook our own flaws because it drives us to hyper-focus on the thing that we're angry with. It drives us to hyper-focus on, on whatever it is we're angry at. And so over time, it doesn't help us because we can never really truly incite change until we're willing to also change ourselves. I don't care what the topic is. I do not care. I do not care if you are a lifelong victim of abuse. You have to deal with the anger in your heart in order to actually facilitate true change going forward. Otherwise, the victim becomes the oppressor and the cycle just spins all over again. The cycle just turns all over again, right? So the the child that doesn't heal from their parental wounds, that refuses to process their parental wounds, their anger becomes part of their identity and then they get married and they have kids and guess what happens? We have a divorce rate of 60%. We have a abused child rate of almost 40%. We have parents who do not connect with their kids because anger doesn't actually help you. And before my church friends write in and be like, well, Jesus was angry at the temple. He, he turned over the tables and all of that. You'll not find the fact that Jesus was angry anywhere in the text. Anywhere. Nowhere. Zip. Not it. It's not in the English. It's not in the originals. And yes, I can read them with you if you'd like. It's not there. For my non-Christian friends, my non-church friends who don't really care about that story, that's fine. I just took 30 seconds of your life. Thank you. Anger is so appealing because it gives us identity. It gives us the moral high ground. But is it actually working? So I want to ask you a question that I really want you to to work, uh, wrestle through in the next seven days. What What have you done in your life where anger was the driving emotion that it turned out good. Now, I'm not talking about, there is there is a short-term benefit, right? If you're caught in a toxic relationship, sometimes there is this bloom of anger that gives you the energy and the courage and the necessary oomph to, to, to make a break in the relationship. But if you sustain that over time, you actually kill yourself. Maybe not physically. I'd actually argue that a lot of people probably uh, are experiencing 
physical symptoms of long-held anger, but, but that would be something I'd have to say is anecdotal at best. But your anger does what for you? Okay, so it gives you identity. It gives you the moral high ground, but is it actually facilitating change? Is it actually helping you to achieve the life that you want? Is it actually creating positive things in your life or not? And then, and, and this is one of the reasons I love this episode this week. If you go back just one week, we talked about price cost value. What's the cost? Not the price. What's the cost? What is all of the things that being angry is costing you? So your ex-husband's a jerk. I get it. There are a lot of ex-husbands that are jerks. Your ex-wife is unreasonable. I get it. There are a lot of ex-wives that are reason unreasonable. A lot of ex-wives that are jerks and a lot of ex-husbands that are unreasonable. Being angry at them is getting what? Is it helping you be a better parent? Is it helping you be a better partner to whoever it is you're dating or married to now? Is it helping you be the better version of you, being angry at them because of that thing they did six years ago or three years ago or two years ago or a year ago or six weeks ago? And and I'm not saying that we can't experience anger. We should experience anger. There's a difference between experiencing anger and being angry and embracing that anger, running around with it. Recently, I had a conversation with a friend where they said something. I was like, whoa, what is that? And it was written text only. And so I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. This sounds really mean to me. Not quite what I said, but it's pretty close. And it turns out what, what the person was saying, I actually agree with. No, I could have carried that anger around, not talked to him, had my little righteous, right? And I could have felt alive. That is one of the biggest things when I, when I do anger management counseling with people, one of the biggest things that I hear from them, once we get past all the BS answers that they've learned to give counselors, it just feels so exhilarating. But what's the cost of that exhilaration? What's the cost of what you're getting out of life? What's the cost of that anger? And then how do, how do we solve it? What do we do with anger? I'm actually going to talk about that next week. How do we solve the anger? What do we do with our anger when it comes? How do we not get on the rat wheel of anger? And, and there are some very clear and easy steps that I think we can take uh, some that he like he outlines in his article, and I do want to give you the where you can get that. So it's on medium.com. You want to search Pete Ross. The title of the article is Your Addiction to Outrage is Ruining Your Life. It looks like it's part of a subsection. Uh, I'm not really sure. Maybe a subsection called Sign Up for Behaving Badly. Um, they have like a whole little where we are inciting change through inclusion, thought, and creativity. We imagine a world. So, that, I mean, you can read it all there. You can follow him, follow that subsection. But uh, it is an article I think worth reading. I do, I, I want to point out that I feel like, I, I think the answer to my question is, what is that anger doing for you is nothing. I can't find anyone who long-term anger has done anything for them, where political outrage has done anything for them. If anything... When I talk to older people, and I actually think that this is part of the problem, we no longer value in our society. Maybe we never did. I don't know. This is the first time I've lived. But we no longer value older people's opinion, at least in America. If you're, I know I have a few people that, live, that listen internationally. I'm not trying to speak for your culture in any way. But we just don't value what we consider old people. I was just talking to a woman yesterday who has all sorts of skills and 
uh, tremendous resume. And she's like, I'll just never be able to work again. I'm like, why? She's like, I'm too old. People won't hire me. And I told her, I said, well, I can't be the only one. And I've hired people that have retired that, that we just don't look at their age. I can't be the only company that does that because older people have a valuable insight. And the more you get to know them, one of the things that you, that you'll hear, one of the things that I hear on repeat from, from elderly people, and I'm talking like 64 and older there. One of the things that I hear on repeat is so many of the things that I was angry about, I realized just don't matter. I, I should have been involved and I should have, I should have tried to work through the cause, but I didn't need to be angry. What it cost me wasn't worth what I got. Price, value, cost. And I think one of the reasons that we don't, or, or that we embrace anger, is that we don't actually, we aren't willing to listen to the people who tell us it isn't worth the, the cost, right? We, we are so hell-bent on learning through our own experiences that we fail to learn from other people's experiences. And by every measure that I can see, that makes us a fool. That makes us fools. And so I think one of the reasons that we embrace anger is we just don't think about the cost of it. We don't listen to the people who have gone before us and who have been enraged with anger and used it and paid a very high cost. We, we, don't, we don't engage with them. And if we don't engage with them, we can't learn from them. And, and then on top of it, it gives us all of those happy drugs that flow through our system. For some people, it's literally like a high. Because they're on the right side, man. They're right. And it allows us to label, I would say mislabel, those who disagree with us as troublemakers. Once you can give people a universally hated label, they're no longer human. You can interact with them any way you want. And we see this all the time. I will chastise my liberal friends for, for labeling anybody that they disagree with a conservative as a white supremacist. I literally have a friend that is black that's been labeled a white supremacist. That's stupid. That's beyond stupid. But if you can mislabel them and give them a negative label, then you can blow them up and it doesn't matter. It's okay. And so anger, when we're in the moment, it gives us the freedom to do that because you don't care. Once you get angry enough, your body basically shuts down executive reasoning and it's all about accomplishing whatever it is you're angry about. So if we're going to facilitate real change, we have to come up with a better way. And next week, I want to talk about what that better way is. What do we do with the anger when it comes? What do we do? Like, let's say, you know what? A lot of people listen to this. They're never going to be, you know, inciting to riots type people. They're going to get mad at their kids on repeat and they're, and they're going to wonder why. Well, I'm going to talk about why next week, why I think that and how I can help you handle it differently. Because if, if you can handle it differently, I'm not, I want to be really clear on this. That initial wave of anger, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just chemicals. What you do next, though, you 100% own. You have to do something different in the next moment. Or it'll all go sideways. So we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about what do we do when we feel the anger. I want to ask you this week, and please write in, let me know, joe at joemartino.com. Put podcast in the subject line. You can reach me on Facebook, Twitter, all of those fine places. Find me on my website, joemartino.com. If you believe that I'm wrong, I need to know what anger has done for you that has been good, productive, and lasting. That's the three criteria. 
Good, productive, and lasting. What was your anger? Good, productive, and lasting. If you think I'm right, and you have found ways that you have found useful to work, to, to do something different than engage in long-term anger, what have you found useful? What have you done? What have you found that's helped you? I want to hear about that too, because I want to share it with my listeners. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.